Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about President Trump wins the Alabama primary, COVID, Dr. Bartlett and Louisiana Congressman Abraham join me in studio, and the Smithsonian spreads radical racism. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. I mentioned sometimes in the show one of my best friends from law school had a great expression, which was PGO pointed glimpse into the obvious. She would say it when people said something very obvious, PGO. This is a PGO. President Trump is very, very happy today about the outcome of the Senate primary in the state of Alabama. And I want to talk just a moment about the outcome of that primary race because it really signals something I think bigger, both about the fall elections and about the sentiment among the American people about wanting to get to the bottom of what happened inside the FBI and the Department of Justice. But if you missed the news in Alabama yesterday, they had a primary runoff. And so choosing the Republican candidate to challenge the incumbent Democrat senator from Alabama. And so the, the uh, two people in the Republican primary, one was former senator. And most of us knew his name, came to know his name, Jeff Sessions. And he was the one who served as senator from Alabama and then became the attorney general. He was challenged by a coach, a coach named Tommy Tuberville, uh, a former Auburn coach. And I've just learned recently, I guess he was at Texas Tech too. But what I want to say about it was he, Tuberville, was endorsed by President Trump and he won that primary runoff by 20 points. 20 points. I want to quick ask Matt, the wonderful producer. I sent him a little bit of a slide to show this is the numbers. This is really big. If you follow politics all the time, this is not squeaking by. This is a very big differential between Tommy Tuberville, the victor, and Jeff Sessions. Also want to show you, I sent Matt the map of Alabama. Pretty much you can see the yellow is, are the areas where Tuberville won, red is where Jeff Sessions won. And I want to just say, I said you know that at the start that President Trump was happy about it. What I really mean by that is this. I think Jeff Sessions is a very nice person. I'm sure he's a very nice person. And he served honorably in the Senate. He actually was one of the very first people who got behind President Trump, or then candidate Trump, when a lot of people were kind of writing him off and thinking he didn't have a chance. Jeff Sessions stepped up and said, you know, I think this is our guy, mainly with respect to the border security immigration issues. He stepped up and he really was a big help to President Trump. But once President Trump assumed office in 2017 and appointed Jeff Sessions as Attorney General, you all know the story. You had as the then long brewing effort inside the FBI and Department of Justice to target President Trump with a complete hoax, the Russia collusion hoax. And early on in that battle, Jeff Sessions was convinced by lawyers at Justice that he needed to recuse himself. So he didn't really, he didn't have the ability at the time he should be serving as DOJ, as, as Attorney General, to be part of shaping the conduct inside the Department of Justice and the FBI. He felt that was the most honorable right thing to do. 
We've talked about this in the show before. I think he got had. I think he got taken. He did not have to recuse himself. He did not realize the political motivation by the, um, held by those who urged him to recuse himself. And as the unbelievable assault on President Trump's presidency continued throughout his tenure as attorney general, where you had literally, it appeared, the major players inside the FBI and Department of Justice continuing to try to pin the collusion hoax on President Trump. What we're watching now is Attorney General Barr and Durham are trying to dig in and figure out what really happened inside there. It became obvious a wide swath of players at very high levels in, the national, in our own national law enforcement agencies were out to get the president. And Jeff Sessions, serving as Attorney General, simply could not or did not decide he could unrecuse himself. He did not weigh in. And so it left President Trump really unprotected. So you had President Trump during this primary weigh in and saying, you know what, I'm going for Tuberville. I think you should support Tuberville, really urging the uh, Republican, Republican voters in Alabama to choose Tuberville, which they did. But the reason I think it's consequential, both for the election of 2020 and also for the ultimate desire to get to justice is this. I think a victory by 20 points in a state that elected Jeff Sessions to Senate were happy and proud to represent, to have him represent them. This is a signal from the voters. They do not like how President Trump was treated by the Department of Justice, by the FBI, by the ongoing Mueller hoax. They don't like it. They want justice to come and they want to stand up for President Trump. This was the voters, at least of Alabama, saying, no, we're with Trump. We think he was mistreated. But I think it's even bigger than that. And I'll close out my first five by saying this. I think there are literally millions and millions of Americans who want to get to the bottom of what happened inside the FBI and Department of Justice, who want, once this investigation is concluded, which it better be long before Election Day, they want to see names, they want to see indictments, they want to see prosecutions, they want to see the people who committed, in the words of Attorney General Barr, the biggest scandal in American history. In, the, in our national, national law enforcement agencies, they want to see those people brought to justice. And I think that is part of the drive of the voters in Alabama to say, we want to send someone to Washington who will fight, not someone who seemed to surrender to the radical anti-American left. And that, my very fine friends, is today's First Five. So I told you before we start, we have guests in the studio. I had to get my political spiel in because we're going to go off and talk about COVID most of the rest of this show. And I'm very honored and excited. We have two guests in the studio. If you're watching our show, it's just about two weeks ago on July 2nd, Dr. Richard Bartlett, uh, who is in t Dallas again, he's in from Midland, Texas, joined us and talked about his success in treating patients who've been diagnosed and are suffering with, from COVID-19, the coronavirus problem we have in America. He had a great new solution and was just a kind of a celebration show, really, of how well that treatment has, how effective it's been in helping people with COVID-19. On top of that, we have another guest in studio, which I'm just extremely excited to introduce him. We have, I'm going to say his full title, which is he's actually a doctor, a veterinarian first, and then a medical doctor, and now a member of Congress. He's also a pilot. He's also a veteran, but we're just going to call him Congressman Ralph Abraham. He's in studio today. He's also, because Congress has not been in session because of COVID, he's been able to practice medicine a bit while he's home, and he's had experience 
treating people who are suffering from COVID-19. So we're going to talk about these two doctors, these two experts with respect to actual treatment of COVID patients, talk about the treatments they're finding effective in helping COVID-19 patients. So without further ado, Congressman Abraham, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. So glad you're here. And Dr. Butler, welcome again. Glad to be back. Okay, so you told me I should call you Doc. Absolutely. That's all I've been called all my life. All right then, okay. Well, that's a better, that's a great name. So Doc, I'm gonna start with you. You're a member of Congress right. representing the people of Louisiana, 5th District of Louisiana. Correct. Okay, and so, but you have in this recent time, we've been suffering under coronavirus, you've been treating patients who've been diagnosed with COVID-19. So tell us how you've been, and successfully I hear. So let me hear your success story and what you've been using to treat them. Well, first, thanks for having me, Debbie. And look, I agree with everything you said in your opening five minutes remark. The, oh, thank you. The American people, they want to get to the bottom of this Russian hoax. Uh, they want justice served. And I think when Durham's uh, probe comes out, uh, I hope there will be indictments to follow. Dr. Bartlett, thank you for your leading edge on this treatment of this pandemic that we're going through. Uh, I have watched you from afar, you and I have talked, and you said something to me the other night uh, when we had a conversation that brought back medicine as it should be. Treat the patient and not the test. And with your treatment, doing the aerosolization of the inhaled steroids, the Zithromax, I do somewhat of the same with oral steroids. I too have had excellent success as you have. I was with Vice President uh, this past week in uh, Baton Rouge where he came to highlight how important it is that we get our children back in a physical school structure yes. and get them <laughs> back into a learning environment where they actually have teachers teach and students learn. And he and President Trump and the Corona Task Force have done a phenomenal job of setting infrastructure so that with doctors such as yourself on the, in the trenches, literally, to see that patient when they first come into the emergency room or they first come into the office, this second wave or whatever you want to call it, we're much, much better prepared, prepared. than we were the first time because we had never seen this novel coronavirus before. So I give a lot of credit to President Trump and Vice President Pence, but I also give a lot of credit to doctors such as Dr. Bartlett that knows the patient and knows how to treat them. Thank you, sir. Love that, thank you so very much. And so without getting, we talked, when we talked two weeks ago, I was learning, I was zero learning curve before he came in, so I got way up to, but you're using, an inhaled steroid with a nebulizer is that an, but you're using happens a different steroid well i'm just using an oral but i'm also using an inhaled too on my diabetic patients because as the doctor knows you know if you have a diabetic and you give them oral steroids it's going to run their sugar up yes. and oh. you know we certainly don't want to do that we uh, want to take care of that patient in the best way and uh, don't want to give them anything that would harm them and if you use the inhaled steroid you don't get near that response of an oral steroid in a diabetic patient Okay, and your success, you mentioned... Right, That's great. Uh, you know, I followed hundreds of these patients, and fortunately or unfortunately, only two, only two have had to go to the hospital. One of those actually caught the COVID in the hospital when he was in there for oh. another procedure. And the other was a lady that uh, had some underlying medical problems that were very severe. But the great, great majority, like yourself, yes. Dr. Bartlett, uh, have we've had success keeping them out of the hospital, keeping them fairly mildly or asymptomatic, and getting them back to work. Yes. 
Love, I just love that. Well, we're, we have, I have a lot of questions. I mentioned before you um, uh, were able to sit down here today that in case we get snowed in and we have like 24 hours to talk, I have enough questions. Thank you. We have but that much to talk about. <laughs> we have a lot. I'll turn to you, Dr. Bartlett. You know, I actually didn't know you. I, I mentioned when we first were on my show a couple weeks ago, we just met the night before at a political event. So now I've been looking into you a little bit. Um, so I want to mention a couple of things, which I think are just really add to your resume, and I think people should know about you. Uh, you are a four-term president of the County Medical Society, yes. which means your fellow doctors are choosing you yes. to be president of Medical Society. That, that's, a, I mean, I would assume because that's a because great tribute to you. Yeah, my peers. Are chosen by your peers, and also a 20-year expert on CBS West Texas affiliate. So you've been mm -hmm. speaking publicly about the practice of medicine. And um, you also got a meritorious service award from the, HH, the Texas HHS commissioner. So that was with respect to your service on a commission that Governor Perry pointed to, is that yeah, right? Yeah, the Texas Health Disparities Task Force, because uh, like, like my, I'm a, also I'm a country doctor. There we go, I still and make so, house calls. So I, I actually began my career, uh, the first leg of my career in a small town with one stoplight, right. the only town in the county less than 3,000, I think it was 3,533 people in the county. And because of my wow. care of the people in the rural setting with all the obstacles there, Governor Perry found out about the care I gave and the excellence, and he asked me to be on the Texas Health Disparities Task Force for seven years. Okay, so you're, you're both uh, long-term practicing physicians with very much success. So I want to just start with, it is an amazing thing. You, we were talking earlier about the uh, just the environment of fear seems to have overtaken Absolutely. America. And everyone's sitting back and there's a scary sounding thing, a disease out of China. And most people, I mean, myself included, you felt very alarmed. But what you're offering, it doesn't, it isn't just that it could help people get cured more quickly, but it seems like the awareness of a, an actual solution that people find cure or, or find healing from COVID-19, it ought to break the atmosphere of fear. Don't you think that's right? Oh, absolutely. We have cracked the code. We understand that there is an answer to the problem of COVID. Doctors all over the country are coming across this same strategy. And so the cat is out of the bag. We have an answer for this. We don't need another answer. We have the answer. And so over 200 patients that he's treated for COVID in his way with the corticosteroid successfully. I'm hearing reports all over. I want to tell you some exciting breaking news. There is a, we're talking about early treatment is a key. And for every disease uh, process, heart, heart disease, stroke, cancer, and all kinds of infections, early treatment is vital. But we have put that by the wayside in January with this specific disease. And we have said, uh, really, no treatment. If you got mild to moderate symptoms, no treatment. Take a Tylenol and tough it out at home has been the offering. Uh, and then if you get severely sick, when the house is two thirds burned down, then we'll try to rescue you. But uh, doctors who have practiced for decades know that early, de early detection and early treatment is vital, even with this disease. And thank God there's an answer. And so I have gotten reports all over, but I want to tell you about something exciting. Yes, early detection, early treatment, but it's not over if someone's still breathing. An ICU south of San Antonio emptied their ICU, ICU in 48 hours, starting with the inhaled budesonide, a respiratory anti-inflammatory solution for their COVID patients because COVID is a respiratory inflammatory problem. And they started the protocols. Unbeknownst to me, they watched your show 
and they, start, and they did research and they started using this on their patients and they emptied their ICU. All their patients went home. Up until that point, 50% of the patients that came in their ICU were, into, were eventually intubated and transferred to San Antonio to the major center. And when you get to that point, research in the last six months with COVID shows that if someone gets intubated, there are some reports of a third of them dying. If you right. get intubated, at least a third of the people, you don't want to cross that line if you don't have to. So now doctors are doing everything they can to keep people from getting intubated, but they, haven't, they have reversed it in that town south of San Antonio. And so this is wonderful news. We have an answer for the for COVID from the beginning to the end. As long as someone's breathing, there's hope. And uh, this is the message. We have, we have an answer for this. We have hope. First of all, intubated means put on a ventilator. Intubated right. means you paralyze somebody where they can't move and they can't breathe. They, oh. If their nose itches, if, they can't, if the ventilator gets unplugged, that's a problem because they right. can't breathe on their own, they will die. Oh. And so you paralyze them and then you put a tube down their throat and then you put them on a machine called a ventilator where you are breathing for them. They're forcing, forcing the oxygen. Now here's the problem. With COVID, you have inflammation and damage to the tissue. It's inflamed, it's damaged. And if you increase the pressure, we call it PEEP, the peak end expiratory pressure. Uh, you're, you're almost pounding increased pressure on delicate damaged tissue that's two to three cell layers thick in the alveoli, which is where the oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange. There's still a place for a ventilator, but it should be our last resort when it comes to COVID care. Right, doctor? I totally agree. A hundred percent, because it's the inflammatory response from the virus itself the that does the damage. That's the killer. The virus itself, it's bad enough, but our own immune response is what we are having to combat. And with the inhaled and the oral corticosteroids, that dampens down that immune response enough for the patient's own immune response to actually kick in and help them get over it. Well said. And the reason this kind of treatment works you're describing with the steroid is because it con the action of the lungs is similar to what happens with asthma. And so this, and the steroid treatments are similar to asthma. So what the lungs are doing is similar to what asthma, is that right? So I'm way out of my league here. Asthma is an inflammatory disease by definition, but COVID is an inflammatory disease times a thousand. Okay. And so this inhaled budesonide, which is an inhaled steroid or oral steroids or IV steroids, which there's a place for uh, multiple tools in the toolbox, but inhaled steroids decrease inflammation. And so corticosteroids decrease inflammation. What's the killer is the cytokine storm, a fancy word for inflammatory chemicals. And the source of where they all get triggered is in the lung tissue itself. And so if you target the treatment as a respiratory anti-inflammatory treatment, then you're not gonna have the potential for the side effects. If someone has diabetes, for instance, as, the, as Dr. Abraham said, uh, of raise, the, that will cause someone with diabetes to have the sugar go out of control. If you have an infection, your sugar will go out of control. So now you have someone that has an infection and you're giving them something that can make their sugar go out of control if they have diabetes. If they don't have diabetes, then there's other options besides inhaled steroids. But either way, for all patients, inhaled steroids is a, uh, is a winning strategy. A direct treatment to the, what the problem the virus has caused. Direct. As I've said, my son is a firefighter. And so firefighters, they, they, they shoot, they put out the fire at the base of the fire. They point the fire extinguisher at the base of the fire where all the flames are and all the other flames go out. If you, if you target the treatment at the source of the flames of inflammation in the lung tissue, all the other infl inflammatory chemicals stop, they decrease. 
Okay. You know, you mentioned a moment ago, and I didn't pick up on a response, but if you, you talked about a hospital, someone contacting you from a hospital near uh, south of San Antonio yes. saying they clean out their ICU unit of COVID-19 patients. I have to tell you, we see all these headlines talking about new cases. Look at the number of cases. If you had that headline, that an, a hospital announced this, it seems like it would do so much both to to make people feel confident there's a way to treat this, but, but to handle fear, to tampen down fear. Somehow I don't recall seeing that headline though. It's like the media doesn't want the solutions out there. Oh, I totally agree. I see it from the uh, aspect of a politician on Capitol Hill that there are unfortunately those on the left that don't want to see this crisis go away uh, because they want it to hurt the president as far as his political reelect. So we as physicians, but certainly I as a Republican politician, we're gonna get that message out. And with good data, good doctors like Dr. Bartlett that are experts in the field know what they're doing every day, shows like this that are viewed by literally millions that's where we get our message out to the people. And the people are smart. They understand facts, but they also understand when they're getting the wool pulled over their eyes. And that's, this is what's being done right now as far as some of the media is concerned. I could not agree more. And you may be aware of Congressman Abraham, but we literally I connected with Dr. Bartlett two weeks ago. We had him on the show. The show from two weeks ago tomorrow has now had 3.1 million wow. views. And I get emails we shouldn't have said that on air, by the way, because Dr. Bartlett said, well, if you want to see this paper that written email, you can give my email address. <laughs> I, I am overwhelmed. I can't respond to all the emails. But what people, it's from all around the world. And I think part of it is people don't want to accept this idea that the only thing we advice we have for you is stay home, take your Tylenol, you know, and, and just wait it out until the virus is ready. They want to think there's something hopeful. And this, is, I think, is part of the enthusiasm. They want to feel hope. There is a solution, Debbie. There is a solution. And that's, I am so thankful for, for your service as a doctor, Thank for you. your patients that you care about, and also for your service for our country. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, but he has, we did not talk before his successes. A lot of doctors, it's like uh, a lot of doctors are stumbling upon this because they care about their people right in front of them, their patients, people's loved ones that are right in front of them. And they have to have common sense, intuition, and good judgment with evidence-based training. Yeah. It's your medical training that allowed you to think of this idea. We're talking right? about outcomes. Yeah. That's right. And Debbie, I don't want to get too political here, but at the same time, not allowing these children to go back to school, as I alluded to earlier, is, in my opinion, a ploy from the left trying to, again, hurt this presidency. And if your viewers want to access a very recent study, uh, they can go to the University of Dresden in Germany, whose children have gone back to school already, and see that those children really aren't the risk as far as spreading the disease that, that the media is, portray is portraying them as. Children uh, just really don't spread the virus at all uh, too much, simply because they don't have as many ACE2 receptors in their lungs as adults because their lungs are smaller. So there's, there's science behind the fact. We're talking science. That's right. Yep. That show that children need to be back in school and that if they get it, they probably got it from a counselor or teacher. They did not give it to the other way around. Okay, first of all, Congressman Abraham, it's impossible to be too political on my show. <laughs> impossible. But second is, I did a big um, segment yesterday talking about how the Los Angeles Unified School District teachers 
responded when they said we would kind of like to open school in California, and they sent it was like a demand letter. I saw it. And, oh, you saw it. I okay. saw it. It, I, was I, it was yeah. It was crazy. It, well, it wasn't demand. It was actually extortion, in my opinion. Yes. That if we're you not don't do this, we're not going to do that. Including Medicare for all, exactly. a billionaire tax. I, I went over it. yesterday. But back to so you're a member of Congress. So this is I, I feel so excited. Number one, four people who've been worried to have Dr. Bartlett's uh, system be more and more known. And I know that literally the thousands and thousands of emails I'm getting, I keep sending out his paper, more people are knowing this. But what can people in Congress do? I mean, it just seems like America is staggering under an un unnecessarily. So what can people in Congress well, do? What I can say in Texas, you have got a wonderful, wonderful Republican delegation. I serve on the doctor's caucus with Dr. Brian Babin and Dr. Michael exactly. Burgess. Yes. But the rest of the Republican delegation in Texas, of course, it's a big delegation because yes. Texas is a big state, certainly compared to us in Louisiana. And those men and women, they are fighting every day up there for Texans and the United States. So you should be very honored that you have good people representing you at Capitol Hill. We, we agree. We love our delegation from Texas. We love it. So in Congress, for example, if you have the doctor's delegation, and I don't mean to imply you could do this, but could you put out a statement we are now aware uh, of? Uh, absolutely. And I've ar I'm already talking to members of the doctor's caucus uh, for doing exactly that. I and love that. again, we are, I am taking Dr. Bartlett's success and championing that to the people in D.C. that can get it to that highest level, and that highest level being President Trump. Love that too, love that too. So Dr. Barlow, I wanna ask you about this. I, I will tell you that after you know last week, I think this, certainly I felt it was uh, big news to me. We had a great show about it, but of course I got a lot of letters and comments on YouTube and Facebook and email. So I was gonna run through some of the things they were asking about. Uh, one was, you know, this isn't, I mean, the reason that you, the argument was the reason you can't get like a Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks to back this because there's no double blind studies, which I say, of course, this is, of course there aren't because it's just gotten started. But what's the answer to that? Well, here, here's the answer to that. Those studies are going on right now. The NIH is actually doing this study. That, that study will be done in October. But for every patient, for those hundreds of patients that you've treated and that I've treated uh, that have COVID, they can't wait till October, they'll die. Right. And there are people dying, uh, and that's, that's been very well documented in the mainstream media, that people are dropping and dying. Americans are dying, and that upsets me. And Debbie, and, I go back, excuse me, Doc, but I go back to Dr. Barton. He is spot on, spot on, that we cannot wait. But also, what President Trump has also done with Vice President Pence, they have had the executive order of Operation Warp Speed. And to your point, and to Dr. Bartlett's point, they have expedited in almost warp speed as far as the movement of Congress is concerned, mm -hmm. getting the NIH, the CDC, the DOD working together, getting those drugs out that will that treat the- That already work. That already work, exactly. They already have and an answer. That, and the vaccine, just trying to get it on fast track because they also know we can't afford to wait. You know, uh, you, uh, you know, there's other countries that are having success doing what we're doing parallel. They're treating their patients, but they're also doing the studies at the same time. South Korea, yeah. 50 million people in South Korea have not closed their schools. Uh, they have an open society and they're treating their patients. Less than 300 have died in South Korea during this whole pandemic, less than 300 out of 50 million people. How is that? They're treating their patients like Dr. Abraham. And they're treating their patients while the studies are being done parallel and their studies are inhaled steroids. They're, they're studying the same kind of strategy and they're, and they're also using it at the same time because it's safe. 
there's no downside to it. There's a lot of times where studies are started and they stop it because they find that they're having a problem and they say, we the can't do this. Yeah. yeah, or there's times where they do a study, like uh, when they were studying a torvastatin in Greece in 2008, and they saw that the population that was getting the medicine had a 50% decrease in heart attack and stroke, so they stopped the study. This is my understanding that it's unethical if you understand an outcome to continue the study. But right now we're having good outcomes and many other doctors in the United States who practice evidence-based medicine as we do, uh, look at the outcomes and are interested in meeting the need of the patient in front of them. And when you have someone who's trusting you with their life or their loved one's life, you have to, you have to do the right thing. And the right thing is to treat the patient. Okay, I want to turn to how the news is covering all of this. Uh, you know, we have see headlines all the time about new cases, and the biggest headlines you ever see are every time some state has any kind of record-breaking new number of cases. And I mean, I, I'll leave my opinion. I, I've talked about this before, but does that alarm you or not that you see all these new cases being uh, covered in headlines? We're testing much, much more. We're almost up to six. 150 maybe 800,000 tests today nationwide we're going to be over a million a million and a half here very quickly and I go back I give Trump and Pence credit for that because they put that testing infrastructure in and it's coming to fruition even as we speak so surely you're going to have more tests a lot of them as Dr. Bartlett knows they're going to be asymptomatic they're going to be mildly symptomatic they're not going to have to go to the physician to get treatment but they get tested and as you saw maybe today some of these labs are not reporting negatives. They're only reporting positives. Well, the, the, the media loves that, or some of the media does, because it skews the data the way that the left wants it to go. So do not think this is not a political hot issue. It is, and th they are trying to uh, hurt this president. To your point, Congressman Aaron, Matt the Wonderful, I sent you several clips. This one is, it was actually off of a, a text message, but it was data about the Florida testing lab results. Mm -hmm. the, um, it says Rebel Cole, I think, is the guy who... T okay, this is one I want to show you. This was out of Florida, and this is being referred to as a bit of a scam. But in Florida, they had they had labs reporting uh, positive results, and numerous of them reporting 100% positive results. That's ridiculous. Okay, so either... either I mean, can you explain? Is that no. possible? No. <laughs> no. It's, it's impossible. Well, okay. Can you put it up one more time? I was just say, I'm sorry, but you know, this is all these different labs. And I want to get at the idea that I could not agree more that this is, there's a political mission among some on the left to say, as bad as we can make things look, and then every bad headline, every bad outcome is going to be President Trump's fault, and this is why he must be removed, blah, blah. But in Florida, this actually, there was, they walked this back, but this was the data actually reported in the Florida State Report, July 11th, and it lists all those labs you can see, numbers six through 19, all saying, 100% positives. And so, so I mean, I guess I want to get at the idea that um, there's some political agenda there. I think they have said recently, well, okay, we, somehow we mix that up, let, let us fix this data. But positive results just mean that someone has been tested and they have the virus, they, they're carrying the virus. It doesn't mean they're ill. It doesn't mean they'll need hospitalization. It could mean nothing at all is going to happen to them, correct? You know, I actually got my bachelor's degree at Texas Tech, where Tommy Tuberville was uh, the coach. And okay. uh, so Tommy <laughs> Tuberville, is a, Tuberville is a good man. He and is. and uh, so I'm, I'm thrilled for his success. But as a medical technologist, I worked in the hospital labs. And so I understand testing. And uh, 
we treat the patient. Tests are, there is a 40% false negative possibility, but to put things in perspective, Wait, half just the this people, test or every test? Uh, overall, these tests. Okay. Looking at, there's many uh, different companies doing the testing. Uh, up to 40% if you test too early in the disease or if uh, you could have a false negative. But uh, uh, the bottom line, to put things in perspective, 50% of the people that get COVID don't even know they had it. They'll right. recover without any symptoms, mm -hmm. without any treatment. And that's wonderful news. Putting things in perspective, half the people that get COVID will have no symptoms, no damage, no, won't miss a day of work, will have no, uh, it will not be treated. So the only concern, our concern is for the 20% that are at risk. And, and in that situation, if we have a systematic way of treating it nationwide, we can open our schools, we can open our businesses, we can, uh, we can uh, get our freedoms back, um, and we can treat people early in a realistic, sensible way. Common sense, still, there's still a place for common sense. Yes. And uh, that's kind of been kind of put on the back shelf uh, to some degree, and it's time for it to come back. And there really is a groundswell of support for the solution that has already come forward from doctors. I, I love that. On the po one more thing on this positive the test numbers. I mean, leave leave alone that one. But all the headlines they they imply, therefore, that our medical system is strained, stressed because of these positive tests. But if you have a positive test and you're asymptomatic you're not straining the medical system at all. Oh, you're not okay. at risk ICU beds. You're just, in fact, it, it is helpful in leading toward herd immunity. Is that correct? Yes, and herd more? immunity is a positive thing. And actually, when you make a vaccine, there's no guarantee that you're gonna have the right strain. We see this with flu. Everybody understands that. They pick the three best guesses of what they think the flu will be the following year, and they make a vaccine for it. And sometimes they have 40% success that they're gonna give, uh, get, hit it right. And so we'll have up to 40% immunity if someone gets the flu vaccine. This is a whole new animal. And so they're trying to make a vaccine and they have a challenge. They have a real challenge because this is a rapidly mutating virus. And because it's rapidly mutating, it's kind of a similar thing with the HIV where they've been trying for 40 years to make a vaccine and, have, and ha are still challenged. They still haven't gotten it. And it's not because they're not trying. And so holding our breath for the vaccine is not the right answer. Treating our patients and, their, and, and treating the loved ones that are trusted to us when they're sick is the right answer. That is the strategy that works. And that is what we're already employing with sure. our patients and our practices. Okay, so people who have um, tested positive, not using a system at all, we don't have to worry about those numbers, but we should be watching the numbers. I was actually listening to Dr. Scott Atlas from the Hoover Institution at Stanford, and he was talking about, you know, the, the headlines are alarming, but actually, the death rate is going down. Well, that's oh, the key. In fact, hey, Matt the Wonderful, I also sent you a death rate chart um, just to quickly show our listeners how, isn't that a great direction? Wonderful news. That is Look great. at that. That's what we want to see. COVID-19 becoming less deadly. You're, if you can't see my happy listeners, May on the left, and we're into past, uh, we're actually in the middle of July today. And then this is the number being uh, reported here is number of deaths confirmed on COVID-19 uh, per 100,000, total deaths per total confirmed cases. So we're we were at between 0.055 and 0.06 in May, and we're down in July, down you know dropping down. So that's that he said that number matters, and threats to or need for the um, access to ICU beds, and those also are not problematic. Is is that correct? Is that where we are? Well, what we hear, what uh, what the breaking news is today 
is that there's an ICU that emptied their beds. I and, love that story. And, yes. <laughs> and, and the bottom line is they're still having success. They have no one in their ICU still. It's holding because they're treating people in their clinic now in, the, in that community uh, when they have early symptoms, which is a winning strategy. Uh, it's not a new idea. We do that with every disease. And so if you treat something early, then you have less risk of complications and death. And so they're keeping their ICU clear. Okay, so people who have a very mild case, uh, Congressman uh, Abram, if you have a mild case, you tested positive and you just don't feel great, but you're not that bad, should you go ahead and, and try this kind of treatment you're describing using Absolutely. the- Absolutely, like Dr. Bartley said, if you treat early and you treat the right way, that patient gets well, they don't end up in the hospital, they certainly don't end up in ICU, and thank God they don't end up on that death chart. So absolutely. Is this something that should be used as a prophylactic, meaning if you don't have any symptoms at all, should you try this or that not, not, not I don't know. So I'm here's something, here. the, the medicine, the inhaled budesonide is used prophylactically. 25 million Americans have asthma right now. Uh -huh. Many of them are little school age kids and they're, and they're healthy and they're still given inhaled budesonide prophylactically, either as an inhaler or as a nebulizer if, if, they're, if they're having more trouble. And it prevent, it's the number one first line pr uh, 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 treatment for uh, a preventive measure to protect people from asthma attacks. And so that is interesting information, an anti-inflammatory preventive measure for an inflammatory disorder called asthma. I believe there's room for uh, this to be uh, used in the future. And Congressman, I haven't shared this with anyone, but I'll share it with you. If you have an at-risk population, like the people with asthma, and you give them an uh, inhaled steroid and it protects them from an inflammatory respiratory problem, what if the uh, at-risk population of nursing homes were given a preventive measure with something that's tried and true for 20 years? I'm telling you, this is a secret strategy to we just save told three million that, people. <laughs> yes, well, okay, we'll keep it a secret between us and the world that that's we right. love people we care about people and we don't want anyone to die. And that's why I'm sharing it with you now, sir. And to your point, in this last go around of the COVID, 40 to 45% of the deaths were that nursing home patient with those comorbidities. Yes, sir. So if we can save one, yes, sir. we've had a good day, it's but if we could it. say, yeah, absolutely. But if we could save thousands, wow, great day. Congressman, I know this may be a little out of you. This isn't, I know you're a member of Congress and you're not employed by the um, NIH or anything, but what is the way to get this kind of information to possibly persuade uh, Drs. Fauci or Burks to be open to the idea of looking for some different solution? I'm, working, I'm working on it as we speak, uh, getting that message out. Uh, again, uh, I was with Dr. Burks, uh, with, she was with Vice President Pence uh, this, this past week. Uh, and we just keep banging the drum, giving them the wonderful successes that we that are in the trenches, we that are on the front lines are having with these strategies. And uh, they're beginning to listen, they really are. These, these are very smart people and they, they want what we want. They want the uh, population to go back to work, they want to save lives, and they want children to get back in school. I love that answer. Yeah. I actually wasn't expecting that answer. I, I felt, I mean, from a distance it has seemed as though the doctors Fauci and Burks, and I don't mean pick on them in particular, but the people who are at the very highest levels have really seemed to be pushing America toward vaccine only as a solution. And if they're, which maybe they thought was the only possible solution, that's why they were 
tending that way. Mm -hmm. But this, and we haven't even talked about hydroxychloroquine in this interview, but um, you know, that was another method. There are doctors in Texas using that. I've had a couple of them on my show. They found success with that too. And that kind of got, uh, excitement got dampened or tampened a little bit, uh, tamped down a little bit by Dr. Fauci, I think, at the start. And um, But I, I think it seems to me their attitude in Washington should be anything that can help. And it's not, you know, quackery, it's not snake oil. We're hearing real doctors find real solutions. Why wouldn't you want, why wouldn't they want that? Or, well, they, they do. And certainly the president does. And yes. with he being on top and directing down to the people that uh, he employs, then when they see that he is the one that cares strictly about lives, he doesn't care anything about the politics of COVID. He cares about saving the lives of exactly American people. Exactly, he does. And yes. when they see that attitude, that leadership, they're going to fall in line. And they are. They, they, they truly are. And they are starting to listen. I'm so glad to hear that. So I want to hit some touchy subjects now. So what is your sense? I'll tell you in Texas, we've had pretty strong organized group who don't like the idea of being forced to wear a mask. So we're going to hit masks, social distancing, and contact tracing. So what is your sense on the subject of masks? Do we... Can, can I do the mask? And Absolutely. you can give him the tracing because he's smarter than me. No. Um, I, You're both you know, very smart, but go ahead. Concerning masks and social distancing, uh, that strategy was used in China. How did it work? Uh, it was also yeah, the strategy well. in Italy. How did it work? That's true. 30,000 deaths. It was used in France, 30,000 deaths. It was used in Spain, 30,000 deaths. It's still the strategy in, in, in New York, 30,000 deaths. Okay, let's do evidence-based medicine. Let's just look at, with common sense, what are the outcomes of a different strategy, which is right on, the, right on death's door in Japan and South Korea and Singapore, where they're using a different strategy, whether you wear masks or not. Uh, I know they can't do social distancing on Taiwan. As I mentioned last time, they don't have enough room. They'd be bobbing around in the ocean six feet apart from each other wearing masks. And so uh, that isn't the strategy that saved them. We yeah. also see that it didn't work in other places, but what they are doing that's different is early treatment. And they're doing early treatment with, a, with an effective treatment, inhaled steroids. This is in, I'm sorry, in Taiwan. In Taiwan, South Korea. And they're also doing the studies right now, the double blind placebo studies. Uh, that could take six months to be done. They're not sacrificing their people in the meantime, they're treating their people and they're treating them early. Early treatment with an effective treatment, but study it. And if you find in the study that there's a problem, then you uh, reassess and you make a new decision because you have more information to make your decision with. But in the meantime, we're interested in saving American lives. And, and so uh, what is effective evidence-based outcomes is what we're after. And so what is working has nothing to do uh, with a strategy that was used in France and Italy and Spain. It has something to do with what has happened in Taiwan where seven people have died during the seven months. And you don't vaccinate uh, a country of 24 million people for, be, when you've only had seven people die during a whole pandemic for seven months. That's not the strategy that's worked. And they have a winning strategy already. So I jump in. So masks were used in countries that had a very bad outcome, or continue to have bad outcomes. Masks were used. They maybe also have been used in Taiwan, where they were also using the inhaled steroid thing. I'm going to say one thing else they're using. They're both eating. They're both drinking. They're both breathing air. And so there's a lot of things that are being done in both places. But what's different in the places that are having success? I would say seven people dying during a whole pandemic for seven months, where there's 24 million people densely populated, 
yeah. uh, on a on a landmass that's a third the size of New York State. Um, wow. <laughs> it, uh, we're talking New York State. We think is dense. Taiwan is yeah. that on you know, and, and look at Japan, 121 million people on uh, very densely populated, less than a thousand deaths. You can look at the Johns Hopkins website and you'll see the num numbers there. But uh, what they're doing different is what counts. What are they doing different that's a winning strategy? It's early treatment. They're not saying if you got mild to moderate symptoms and you're a Japanese citizen, stay home yeah. and don't get treated. And they're treating with something that apparently is working. So masks were used in places where they did not have a good outcome. Masks here in America, if we can get more people interested in the kind of treatments you're both describing, Let's open our country back. Let's open, open the country the back and, and maybe masks aren't necessary. Back. Dr. Barley is spot on and you're spot on, David. We have got to open this country back yes. up. We cannot afford, yeah, we, can. we can, Doc, you're exactly right. We cannot afford as a world leader in economics, in research, in technology, we still are the big dog in the world. And yes. that is the United States of America but we've got to be open for business. We've got to get our people back to work. And I keep reiterating, we've got to get our kids back to school. Absolutely. Oh, could not agree more. The kids back to school shapes a lot about how our whole society functions. So unmasked, and the next one is on social distancing. You know, uh, I'd say I was- I threw that in there already. I already answered that one. <laughs> They're doing that on Taiwan. I mean, they can't do it on Taiwan. They can't really. do it on Taiwan, yeah. I mean, I, I just think, you know, I think on the one hand, people in a crisis, everyone has, Americans have a good heart. And so they just, yes. if you tell us what we need to do, okay, fine. We have to wash our hands and wear masks and socially distance. I, I, I will say from a political perspective, I have been um, part, of the, um, part of the crowd less willing or not wanting to be uh, ordered as much as I like the government to give you information, to provide information. And you know, if, I, if my parents were still living and I had to go visit them in a senior home, I would honor their rules. But the, the kind of masking and social distancing rules feel uh, intrusive and overbearing. Um, and so I think a lot of opposition to that. But, with, but if everyone, if the country got on board with the kind of treatment, will we need, this is Congressman uh, Abram, will we need to continue social distancing and masking? Yeah, if you took Dr. Bartlett's advice uh, as far as his early treatments and mine and the other doctors that are doing similar treatments, then uh, yeah, we would be in a much, much we could, better. We, okay. we could open this country this. Okay. We can open our country back. Okay, so what do you think about the idea of contact tracing as a policy to deal with this? Or, uh, should I taint the question, my, taint your answer by saying, I have a very close friend who's a doctor here in Texas, not who's been on my show before, but she calls me after the show and talk about sometimes. And she's talked about contact tracing is very hard to do, even with things like HIV. Uh, but this is an airborne virus, very hard for legitimate contact tracing to be effective. But if you feel different, I'd love to know what you think. No, I, and I don't feel different. I mean, it, it is very difficult to trace. People, they're not going to answer their phone. They're not going to know what to tell the people that are asking the questions, so they're not going to answer the questions. There is one place that I would love to see contact tracing, and it would prove the point that I all go back to again. Contact trace that sixth grader that may be positive contact trace them and see who they infect, what you're going to find is that they're probably not going to infect anybody. You answered that question. That's a very good point. Germany. That's right. The Germany study, the Dresden study, study was impressive. And oh, by the way, they didn't close their schools That's in right, these uh, countries that have low death rates. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, it's an amazing thing to think about how we in this country, here we are we're in the middle of July, 
and early on this year and shows in January and February had all these economists on and the best economy ever and so exciting all the unemployment numbers are so fabulous for all these segments of society and America's just bursting America's coming back all these great things it's astonishing the 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 impact on not just our economy but our kind of our culture our sense of comfort our sense of um, you know safety in our that we it's just been torpedoed by this it's and, and almost a culture of fear it's almost culture a culture of fear, of fear. Yeah. and, and maybe you know that is nurtured by the extreme left because going back prior covid back in 2019 the economy was bursting at the seam because this president rolled back regulations for every new one he took 17 away businesses flourished they boomed and you saw the unemployment numbers just two weeks ago. They surprised everyone, except maybe President Trump and Vice President Pence. They were so good. Yep. The jobs are there. They're waiting. We just have to let the people go back. People want to work. People don't want to stay home. You know, there's very few people you actually talk to that want to lay on the couch and watch TV. They want to get out there and they want to get, get well, a paycheck. Live their lives. That's exactly right. You know, uh, we, we've been talking, been hearing people mention a term, new normal. Well, let me tell you what the new normal is that, they're try that is trying to be promoted. It's in a situation where people are dying alone without their loved ones in the hospital because their loved ones are not allowed in the hospital. If they go to the hospital, many times they might not be offered all the options that they want. I, uh, driving here, I had a, a lady call me and she had just been widowed five minutes before asking for a treatment in her hospital with her husband begging them to do the inhaled budesonide and they refused and so uh, she's devastated it, it, you're 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 in a here's uh, there's a case in west texas where a family's loved one goes in the hospital and they're watching the new they can't be in the hospital with them this is the new normal and they're watching the news and they find out their loved one died this is the new normal i'm saying no thank you to the new normal I, I, want, uh, I want us to have the freedoms that they have in, in South Korea and Taiwan where their schools are open and, and they have business and, and, the, and they're prospering again and they have freedom of speech and, they have, and people are not suspicious of their neighbors or their strangers um, and uh, they're not separated from their families. Right. The, I mean, in California, are they separating? Uh, there's the potential, there's the potential of this leading crazy. to, yeah. yes. I'm sorry, California. Uh, what, what, there, there's a, I have concerns about f children being taken from parents oh. with, in the name of COVID. And, and uh, you know what? Uh, there's still a place for common sense. There's no one that needs to be with their children more than the parents and the parents with their children. People need to be with their loved ones. There's more dignity in the dying process and hospice for people who are, uh, are terminally ill and they know they're going to die than people who should not be dying from COVID who are dying alone and I'm tired of the new normal and we don't have to have it anymore the the, the code we've cracked the code uh, we have an answer for this problem called COVID I love hearing that this that could actually be a whole other show talking about the kind of societal and um, impact on families this whole it, effort it's has had it's been dramatic uh, you know I, I am seeing children that were happy-go-lucky, just being the normal kids that we know kids should be, depressed, anxious, and to your point, abject fear, yes. uh, have, have become very withdrawn because of the response that uh, we have elicited during the pandemic, and it's, uh, it's, it's bad on kids.
And we're not, we're not talking about um, guesses and theories. We're talking about evidence-based outcomes of 100% survival, 0% mortality for the, for the doctor in Louisiana. And across the border in Texas, we're seeing uh, that happen as well. We have an answer for this problem. There is hope. There is solutions to this problem. That's great news. And so I am convinced that this can be implemented and our country can be reopened. I totally agree, Doc. I love hearing that. You know, I can't believe this time raced by. Um, I'm going to talk to you, my happy listeners, about this story about the Smithsonian. Some other day, I can't get to it today because I want to be sure we get every last bit of information we can and encouragement from these guests we have with us today. We have a couple minutes left. I don't know. First of all, Congressman Abram, thank you for flying all the way from Washington to here. It's great to have you in Texas. Hey, look, I love to come to Texas. Uh, Everyone I, my, loves Texas. My, uh, <laughs> my daughter is a practicing radiologist in Longview. Oh, there you go. Okay. So well, we, we have wow. three we have three grandchildren that oh. are Texans. Well, good. Okay. Well, then lucky for you. So, do you have any things we didn't get to today in this time? No, uh, you know, but like virus? Doc said, and and like you alluded to, this is beatable, this is doable, this is winnable, and we're going to get there. Yes. Uh, and I go back, you know, to the leadership of Trump and Pence and his team. I go back to the doctors and the frontline workers, the nurses, the phlebotomists, yes. the lab techs, those unsung heroes whose face never grace a TV show yeah. that make our jo job so much easier. Right. You, you know, I mean, yes, we couldn't do it without them. So, you know, I want to just give the biggest shout out that we possibly can to those people that go home, they do their job, don't, don't cause any fuss, but they actually make us look better than maybe we actually are because they the do their work. I'm going to jump in and tell our listeners, I'm going to ask Dr. Bartlett also any last things to share uh, because we do have to wrap up the show. But I want to mention, if you are among the people who emailed to ask for the paper that Dr. Bartlett prepared related to his treatment for COVID-19, it's available on our website, americachemidoc.org. Under the blog, just click on blog, it'll pop right up and there's a, PDF, a connection of PDF, you can read his whole paper. In addition, you can read a uh, more in layman's terms uh, note that he wrote to Senator Hall, Bob, Bob Hall has been on the show many times, uh, that explains this in more layman's terms. So if I haven't responded to your emails because I'm a little bit overwhelmed, but you can find it on our website. And now Dr. Bartlett, anything else you planned on saying today we didn't quite get to? You know, this morning, uh, half awake, my phone rings and it's a, a man with a hoarse voice saying, doctor, you saved my life. Oh. A stranger to me named James Lloyd in California, he says he's an attorney, and he said that he had some antibiotics given to him, and he was getting sicker, and he said, uh, Saturday, I thought I was going to die. Mm. And he said, I convinced my doctor to try the inhaled budesonide, and he said, I can breathe, which is what it's about. And uh, I'm gonna say, um, I, I am not afraid of COVID any longer, and you don't have to be afraid either. Love that. Okay, folks, as I always do at the end of every show, I want to tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And Matthew, wonderful, we have to skip the third one because we didn't get to our Smithsonian story. But President Trump wins the Alabama primary. Why it matters to you. Trump-backed Tommy Tuberville wins U.S. Senate GOP primary over Jeff Sessions by 20-plus points. This is deep state. Mainstream media, uh, media deniers will say this result is a deep south one-off aberration. This is a measure of the breadth of knowledge and depth of disgust of American patriots with the abomination of Obamagate, 
and the lack of accountability of the perpetrators. Jeff Sessions does not appear to have been a perpetrator, but as the Attorney General, he was oblivious, clueless, and spineless, even though he's a nice person, in the face of the most egregious abuse of power by the Department of Justice and the FBI in the history of America. Trump and those who voted for him have been the victims of this abuse, and they are fed up. Tuberville rode that disgust to a 20-point victory. Let us hope he will be strong. And on Dr. Bartlett and Congressman Dr. Abraham, Doctors who actually treat COVID patients as opposed to medical researchers have seen recovery and cure through the use of hydroxychloroquine and budesonide, thousands of recoveries, not merely anecdotal stories of cure. Institutional voices like NIH and Dr. Fauci seem relentlessly determined to discredit these doctors and their treatments, although as we just heard from Congressman Abraham, they may be more open than I thought. Americans are rightly asking why, who decides which recoveries are based on science and which aren't, who determined who decides why the relentless push for a vaccine is the only solution with lethality rates of COVID documented to be below that of a bad flu. Why the continuance of the lockdowns and that my very fine friends is America. Can we talk for today? Thank you so much for tuning in every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central time to America. Can we talk where I always talk truth about America because America matters and I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear-